Amen. Thank you, brother. So, uh, so glad tonight for the victory that we have in Christ. Can you say amen? That's one of my favorite hymn songs um, of all time. Certainly enjoy singing it. Good evening to you. I want to welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible study. God is good, isn't he? He is gracious and he's merciful. And the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm glad of that. I need them every morning. I need the grace of God daily. Um, and God's grace is sufficient for each and every one of us. He is so good. I'm so glad that I get to know him. I'm so glad that I get to be a part of what he's doing in his church. How do you know it's his church? And uh, I'm glad that he allows me to be a part of it. And I'm glad that you're a part of what the Lord is doing right here tonight. Whether you're in this sanctuary or you're listening to us online. I'm thankful that you've made the decision to be a part of the study of the word of God. I believe the Lord has something for us. If we're ready to receive it. If we've come with um, hungry hearts, open minds. Ready to receive what the Lord has for us. He's ready to give it. He's ready to fill us up. Um, if we're willing to um, stay hungry for what he has for us. Take your Bibles, turn with me please to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. That's where we'll look at tonight. We're going to try our best to finish up with the third chapter. I think last week we looked at verses 9 through verse number 17. And um, this week we're going to finish up with the last few verses starting in the 18th verse. Just to review a little bit before we get on with the rest of this because it really all ties together and it's hard to keep splitting up like we do many times. So I like, kind of like to build the foundation before we put the walls up. And so, um, you know, when we talked last week about what Paul said concerning the church, he gave us two analogies. And he said that, first of all, the church is like a field. And we talked about what that meant. And then he said the church is like a building. And we talked about what that meant. But how many of you know, if we're really going to get a clear understanding of the Word of God, what the Bible is saying to us. We've got to know what it does say and what it doesn't say. All right? And so let me tell you what that doesn't mean. When we're talking about the church being the building, when Paul's talking about the church being a building, he's not talking about these four walls and roof um, that, that we're sitting in tonight, this structure that we're sitting in this evening. That's not what he's meaning. How many of you know this is not the, not the church? This is the church house. This is where the church meets. But all of this around us, this church property, all of the, uh, the structures that are built on it, that's not the church. And, and the reason I say that is because what, of what Jesus said concerning the church. You remember Matthew 16. He said, it's upon the foundational truth that I am the Son of God, that I'm going to build my church. You remember when he's speaking with Peter and the rest of his disciples? And he said, the gates of hell itself will not prevail against my church. Now, what's Jesus telling us? Well, ultimately, he's telling us that the church is eternal, that it's not temporal. There's never going to be a time when there won't be a church. Why? Because it's built upon the strong foundation of the Lord Jesus. And that's what makes all the difference. I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of the church. I'm thankful that... I will always be a part of the church because I've placed my faith in Christ. What a blessing that truly is. I'm thankful that even the gates of hell will not prevail against 
his church. What an amazing thing. Now, that, that has to mean then that these four walls and this roof, this structure we're sitting in, it, that can't be the church because this is certainly uh, temporal. It's not eternal. It's, it's only here for a little while. I was just walking out the, uh, the back door last Sunday morning after service, and two of our guys were standing at the back door looking up at the ceiling, and I walked by and said, guys, what's up? And they said, well, look right there. He said, there's a brown spot on the, on the ceiling, evidently. Some of our shingles had blew up or maybe blew off in the last rainstorm, and the roof had leaked a little bit. Why is that? Because this building that we're in, this structure that we're in, it's temporal. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't respect this place. Absolutely we should. Let me tell you why. Because this is God's. This is His place set apart for the purpose of worshiping Him. And because it's set apart for the purpose of worshiping the Lord, then guess what? We ought to respect it. We ought to reverence it. We ought to protect it. No doubt about that. But we never need to get in the mindset that this play, this place is the church. No, the people is the church. And we, we've got to remember, we don't come to church, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, God wants to use us to accomplish His purpose in the world. If we get in the mindset that this is the church, these four walls and, and this roof, we get in that mindset, then we think once we've come to this place, somehow we've fulfilled our obligation. No, listen to me, folks. We don't just come to the church one, two days a week for an hour or two in a service or whatever the case may be. No, no. We are the church and we live that out daily, not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Not, not just in this place, but at our home, at our workplace, at the ball game, at the grocery store, wherever we go. That's what God has called us to. That's what God has saved us for. Now, we're certainly all still growing in that, but we should be growing in the right direction. And, and so Paul makes it plain that we are the building, not this building, but we are the building. This is not the building. I mean, this is the building. You're a part of the building. We're a part of the building individually and collectively, corporately. We are the building of God. And so Paul, uh, first of all, makes it plain to us. He really outlines four different things here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says you've got to build on the right foundation. And, and we found out in verse number 11 that the right foundation to build upon is none other than the Lord Jesus. He says no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone the foundation of the church. And so we always must remember that. Also, we got to have the right foundation, but we got to have the right materials. And we went over those last week, and we talked about how that he lists six of them. He says, you can build on the, on the foundation with many different materials, gold, silver, precious stones, and the, they're in verse number 12. Or he says, you can build wood, hay, or stubble. But the thing is that we must remember is that one day all of us as believers who are working on the building, in the building, the church itself, the work we do will be put to the torch test. The Bible says it will be tried by fire. 
The Bible teaches in Romans chapter 14 and then uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to go back in your quiet time and look at Romans 14.10. But you're going to see there, the Bible says plainly that one day we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer. It's for the Christ follower. It's for those who's been blood-bought, born again, whose name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life. See, the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with whether or not you you get to heaven or or go to hell. That decision was decided at the moment you trusted in Christ by faith. That's already signed, sealed, and delivered. Amen? But now listen, when we stand in the judgment seat of Christ as believers, as members of the body, we will give an account for the work we've done after we got saved, after we were put in Christ. And the Bible says that work that we do will be tested by the fire. And some of the work will be burned up. That's what he's talking about, wood, hay, and stubble. All of those are combustible materials. Or he says, you know, if your work stands the test of time and eternity, it's gold, silver, precious stones. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit apprehensive about that. Aren't aren't you just a little bit maybe? You tell you why? Folks, I know I still got growing room. I know I do. I know... I've got a lot of growing room. And I want to make sure what I'm doing is pleasing unto the Lord because I realize one day I'm going to give an account. I'm going to stand before the one who took the nails for me. I'm going to stand before the one who took the ridicule and shame of the cross for me. I'm going to stand before the one who left the glory of heaven and came to this earth for me. I'm going to stand before the one who's been my provider and my protector and my friend when nobody else seemed to be. The one who listened to me when nobody else wanted to, when nobody else really could. You know, that's one thing I love about Jesus. The Bible promises that if we ask anything in accordance to his will, he hears us. He's listening to our prayer. And the Bible says that even King Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Jesus listens to my prayer but also prays to the Father for me. He is my high priest. I've told you before, my my best friend in this world, and I mean this with all my heart, is my wife. And And I feel as though I can tell her pretty much everything, pretty much everything. But some things I can't even tell her. She's not going to understand. She's not going to get it. Some things she probably gets tired of hearing. But I'm thankful I can always bring these things to the Lord and he promises to hear me and I've seen time upon time upon time upon time when he answers those prayers. It's amazing. I'm going to stand before the one 
who's been there for me at every turn. Good times and bad times. Ups and downs. And I'm going to give an account for how I've served him. That shakes me up a little bit. That scares me a little bit. I don't want to stand before him ashamed of the decisions and choices I've made after the price he's paid for me. Does that make sense to you? But now also, I'm really glad that when I stand before him, the Bible says in, in, in Revelation 19 too, that the Lord judges righteously. He judges justly. I'm glad of that. Because very seldom in this world does it seem to me that we see a lot of righteous judgment. A lot of it skewed for whatever reason. But when we stand before the Lord, Jesus, he will judge righteously, justly. See, he sees what I do, he sees what I don't do, and he sees why I do what I do, and why I don't do what I don't do. Does that make sense? He sees that. He sees everything. And he's going to give me what's right according to the work I've done for him, with him. As he allows me to be a part of what he's doing. See, some of y'all Maybe thinking right now, you've been serving the Lord faithfully. And whatever area the Lord has given you to serve, and, and however, and whatever the Lord's put in your hands. Amen. You've been serving the Lord at your workplace and trying your best to love people like Jesus loves people and looking for every opportunity you can possibly look so that you might tell somebody about how good Jesus is. And you've been praying for that and seeking that. And listen, being bold enough to step through the doors that God opens. And you've been serving faithfully at your workplace. And there may be some mamas here that have been serving faithfully and raising up in babies. I'm talking about you loving them uh, like the Bible says you ought to love them. And you teach them like you, the Bible says you ought to teach them. And, and, and listen, you've been doing what the Lord has given you to do faithfully. Serving Him. Because how many of you know, when it comes to a child of God, everything we do is about serving Jesus. We don't separate the spiritual and the secular. Why? Because listen to me. Now we are in Christ. And now Christ is in us. And whatever decision and choice we make not only affects us, but it affects Him. Amen. So guess what? I serve Jesus when I'm preaching in the church like we're doing tonight, but I'm also serving Jesus as I'm a father for my children. I serve Jesus while I'm uh, doing what we're doing this evening, reading the scripture and praying to the Lord and, and going through this lesson, but I also serve Jesus when I'm putting up a sign at, at my workplace. Everything I do, if I do it as unto the Lord, becomes an act of worship unto Him. So whatever God's given you to do, you've been faithful in it. And man, you're looking for ways to love Jesus and love people. And you're wondering, is anybody seeing? Is anybody taking notice of what's going on? And some of y'all have been teaching them classes for them babies. And it's like herding a bunch of cats. 
Brandy was, I had to go to the, to the uh, doctor. Um, when was this? Monday. And I was off work Monday, and so she said, can you run by and just say, hey, you know, during PE, just watch the kids. You, you can let them play on the playground, do whatever you want to do during PE, and then I'll be back. And, and I got out there with, uh, we had 10 kids at school that day. And, and um, wasn't it? Yeah, 10 kids. I was trying to keep a count on them continually, man. I didn't want to lose one while she was gone. Because it was tough. I mean, they, they are everywhere. All at once. And I was like, oh my God. I am so thankful for people who love kids and are faithful in service to the Lord in teaching these youngins. Praise God for you. That is not my calling. It's really, oh man, it's, it was tough. I struggled for a little bit. But you think, man, nobody's seeing. Yes, Jesus is seeing. He's seeing what you're doing. He's seeing your faithfulness. He's seeing your servant's heart. Keep on keeping on, brothers and sisters. He sees, and he will judge righteously. Isn't that good to know? A little bit apprehensive about it, but I'm also looking forward to it because he's going to do it right. Amen. But we will stand before him, and we're going to give an account for the materials that we used. Our work is going to be put to the torch test and I don't want to be smelling like smoke. I don't want my works to be burned up. And we talked about what all that meant last week. I'm not going to get into that, but we got to build on the right foundation. We got to build with the right materials. But number three, we've got to build according to the right building plan. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Let's look on down. First Corinthians chapter number three and let's start at verse number nine or uh, eighteen, excuse me, and I tell you what, let's start with verse number seventeen. Let's start with verse number sixteen. Let's start with verse number sixteen. All right, look at verse number sixteen. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Now again, we are the temple of God individually speaking. God lives in me, right? But if you're a believer, God lives in you, and as we come together corporately, we too are the corporate. Building of God. So this ain't the building. This is the building. This ain't the building. This is the building. And this ain't the building. This is the building. Right? We are the temple of God. God, and if, I don't, if we could ever get a hold of that right there, it would absolutely change everything we do. I mean, it'll change how we worship in here tonight, but it'll change how we live tomorrow. If we can ever get at that in our minds rightly, God lives in us. Do you know where you go tomorrow you're going to take God with you? Do you know what you do tomorrow? You're going to take God with you? What you say? Decisions and choices you make? He's going to be with you in all that. Let that roll around upstairs just a little bit. I had a pastor 
I'll say one time. If Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus, so everywhere you go, Jesus is in you and the person of the Holy Spirit, why don't you bring him to church? Because Jesus likes coming to church. Makes sense, doesn't it? Sure it does. Sure it does. Now, I know I'm preaching to the Wednesday night crowd, but it's true. Wherever we go, he goes with us because he's in us. What we do affects him, and certainly what he does and has done affects us. We are made partakers of all Christ is and all Christ has if we are in Christ. It's amazing. So individually, we are the building of God. Corporately, we are the building of God. Now watch what he says, though. He says, if anyone defiles the temple, verse 17, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. That is some sobering words. Now, I believe this. Anyone who tries to tear down the building of God, the temple of God, corporately speaking, if you're trying to tear down the church, watch out. Because the Bible's telling you God will destroy you. I, I look back through history and you see all the people who tried to destroy the things of God. Look at Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler you know, was pompous and prideful and said that he was going to destroy the Jews first of all, but then he also destroyed really pretty much all religion in Nazi Germany and he had that the big book burning where he burned the Bibles and burned uh, the, the theological books and all the things that he did while he was ruler there. How many of you know Adolf Hitler's been dead a long time and the church is still going strong? Same thing down in uh, communist Cuba. You know, they tried some of the same stuff and tried to turn um, government into God through the, uh, the vehicle of communism and socialism. I don't know really how you separate the two. Socialism, socialism is only communism's younger brother. It gets there before you know it with a dictatorship. And so they tried to do the same thing. Guess what? All the Castros are dead and gone. Fidel and Raul, they're gone, and the church is still going strong. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Listen to me. You've got to be careful if you're trying to tear down the church. Now, we're talking about people who are not believers, but right here, he's talking about those who are believers. And he says, if you are at the business of tearing down the church, God can and will destroy you I believe with everything in me we can shorten our days upon this earth as believers by the decisions and choices that we make I think that's exactly what this verse is talking about you being the temple of God if you continually defile the temple which brings shame to God himself because now Christ is in you or you are in Christ Again, what you do affects him. If you continually bring shame to him, I think he'll take you out. You said, Brother, how, why do you believe that? How do you know that? Well, I, I believe that because of what happened to two people in the book of Acts, to a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember that story? I think it's in Acts chapter 5. 
You can go back and look this week. Don't quote me on that, but I believe it's somewhere around Acts chapter 5. The church has just been born by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is being added to daily, the Bible says, such as should be saved. The Lord's adding to the church. Great things are happening. Miracles are taking place. And right in the middle of all of it, Ananias and Sapphira, this couple comes to Peter and the, and the other leaders, the other apostles, Peter and John and, and the rest of the crew. And, and, and they say, well, we've got a, a, a parcel of land that we're going to sell and we're going to give the money uh, to, the, to this newly formed body of believers so that we can do what we need to do. And so they say, okay, do what you want to do. And so they come back and, and tell everybody that they gave all the money. We sold this land. We gave all the money to the church. But they didn't give all the money. They lied. And so Peter calls them in. And he says, uh, first he calls in Ananias, Ananias and the, the husband. He comes in and Peter says, well, you said you gave all the money, but you didn't give all the money. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter pretty much tells him, he says, it was your, it was your land and your choice to sell it because it's your land, and it was your money. You could have done with it what you wanted to. But because you lied, you're fixing to die. And guess what? He dropped dead. And then he calls Sapphira in. Does this pretty much the same thing with her. And he says, the same ones that just carried your husband out, fitting to carry you out. Now these are, by all accounts, believers who defiled the temple. Do you see it? Well, you will if you get to Acts 5, but I think it's Acts 5. I'm, I'm just saying, we've got to be careful with the decision choices that we make, all of us. God says if you defile the temple, then that man will God destroy. Pretty strong words. Now look what else he says here. Watch. Verse number 18. Let's, let's go according to the building plan. That's what he's talking about in these verses. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness. If you believe it, say amen. We'll get to that in a minute. I want to get back to it. but I, I want to talk to you about the plan we build by. Now, how many of you know the way the world builds and way, the way we are to build in the church is two completely different things. Let me read to you something that Dr. Warren Wiersbe said concerning this that was so good, I, had to, I got to give it to you tonight. The world depends upon power, prestige, promotion, and the influence of money of important people. Would you agree or disagree with that? That's how the world builds. That's how the world does what they do. That's the wisdom of the world. And the Bible says... We, we're not about the wisdom of the world. That, that's not how the church is to be operated. That's not how we are to build on the building. That's not the plan. So what is our plan? Well, there's at least four things that we have got to make sure that we're doing if we're going to build according to the plan of God. Now, let me give you these four things and then we'll move on. First of all, um, we have got to make sure that we're doing what we're doing according to prayer. Amen? We've got to. Let me tell you what I love about um, one of my favorite verses in all the Word of God, Luke 11 and 1. Luke 11 and 1, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, Jesus, like I told you Sunday, is not only our Savior, but our supreme example. Amen? 
If we want to know what it means to live a life God the Father is pleased with, who do we look to? Well, we look to Jesus. And that's exactly what the disciples were doing. They, they looked to Jesus and they saw him. Uh, how many of you know Jesus was the greatest preacher who ever lived? He was. If you don't believe me, go read the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest preacher who ever lived, Jesus. Not only was he the greatest preacher who ever lived, but he was also the, a miracle worker like no one had ever seen. I mean, he's healing blinded eyes and causing deaf ears to be unstopped, and he's casting out demonic spirits, and he's speaking to fig trees. And they're withering just like that. He's healing withered hands. You know what I believe? I believe with everything in me, God is still in the, in the healing business. He is. He's still able, praise God. But I grow weary of some of these so-called faith healers. Because I don't think some of that is of God. I think it's motivated more by what they can gain instead of the power of God at work in someone's life. But I do know God is Jehovah Rapha. He has not changed. And if any healing takes place, God does it. What I would love to see is some of these faith healers heal some withered hands. Let's see that. Can you imagine? Here you have someone with a withered hand that's drawn up. Jesus touches him, speaks to him, and the hand that is drawn and the ligaments that have or the muscles that have atrophied for years upon years and the ligaments that seem to be locked up all of a sudden loosen and the muscles regrow and the hand straightens. Are you kidding me? That's the power of Jesus. Amen? So, so listen to me now. I want you to understand Jesus is all these things. Preacher. Miracle worker, healer. And when the disciples come to him, they don't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They don't say that. When the disciples come to him, they don't say, Lord, teach us how to do the hand thing. They don't say that. Lord, teach us how to do all this stuff you're doing. You know what they said? Teach us to pray. Let me tell you why I believe that is. Because they understood the power that was coming in the preaching and in the healing and all the stuff Jesus was doing, it came by prayer. Did you hear me? Everywhere Jesus went, look and see where he goes. When he's walking the countryside continually throughout the Gospels, it says, and he went up into a mountain apart to pray. We read about it Sunday when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. For what? For to pray. What did he do before he went to the cross? He spent time in prayer. He spent time in prayer, brothers and sisters. I want to tell you something. The power of God is released upon our situation when we choose to take advantage of the privilege of prayer. Michelle said something to me a few years ago, I guess, but it stuck with me. She said, I believe we ought to trust God 
like it's all up to him. She said, but I believe we ought to pray like it's all up to us. That's pretty good. I like that. Listen, continually, faithfully pray and let God do the work that only God can do. Dr. Charles Spurgeon was pastor of the London Tabernacle. And when he was pastor there, it was growing in leaps and bounds. Thousands upon thousands of people were getting saved in London, England. God started a revival in London, England through the preaching of Charles Spurgeon. And after a while, some of the uh, local newspapers started coming around and said, Dr. Spurgeon, how is this happening? What's going on? Tell us your secret. And he said, you really want to know what is going on in this church? Do you really want to see why all of this is taking place. And the guy said, yeah, that's what I'm here for. He said, well, follow me. And so this is early in the morning, all right, on a Monday morning. He takes him down to the basement of the church, down there beside the boiler room, and he opens up this door. And, 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 and when he opens up this door, there are hundreds of people on a Monday morning on their face before the Lord in prayer. And he said, that's the reason we're seeing what we're seeing here in this church. Because God's people are asking God to do what only God can. Listen to me, folks. Sometimes we think, well, we'll really get to work after we pray. No, we get to work when we pray. The work is not after we pray. The work is prayer itself. Amen. Listen to me. We can do a whole lot after we pray. But we'll need to do nothing until we pray. We're talking about adding on to our sanctuary, starting a new building program. Let me tell you what you, what you need to be doing, what I've asked you to do continually. Pray. Let me tell you what I've asked my deacons to do continually. Pray. Seek the Lord in this. And pray just like Moses prayed. Lord, if you ain't leading, we ain't going. And if we don't know it's what you want, we ain't moving from this spot. When you pray and seek the Lord, if you get the answer, move. If God says yes, go forward. If God says no, stay where you are. If God don't say anything, wait. Wait. Trust Him. But pray. Pray, bathe everything we do in prayer. That's why I continually ask you at every, 9 o'clock every morning to pray one for another. That's why I'm asking you when you come in here on a Sunday morning, don't wait till you get here to pray. Pray when you get up, before your feet hit the floor, while you're still laying on your back, say, Lord, we need you today. This day is yours. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to worship you. We want to make sure everything that happens is according to your will. God, we want to see you speak to hearts and change lives. And I'll promise you this, if you'll pray like that, God is ready, willing, and able to answer. The church depends upon prayer. We must be a praying people. We got to be. Not only is the church dependent upon prayer, but the church is dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Do y'all hear me? The church is dependent upon the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. I think the problem with the modern church as we know it today 
is that we've learned to do church without the power of God. We, we learn to go through the motions. and We learn to pray when we need to pray and sing when we need to sing and preach when we need to preach. And we can even figure out what to pray, what to preach, and what to sing to make it look right. And we can go through the motions and get by or, or, if we really want to be effective, we can be desperate. For God the Holy Spirit to have his way and will. And if we're really going to see lives changed, if we're going to see God's work done, if we're really going to see people grow in the Lord, if we're really going to see God do what blows our minds, we've got to be desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit to be manifest among us. Amen? Now, I know a lot of times we talk about spirit falling. And there's some reference to that in Scripture to a degree in the book of Isaiah. There really is. But now listen, remember, we are the temple of God. It's in us the Spirit dwells. We sing a worship song that says, Lord, make us more aware of your presence. Amen? Amen? That's what I'm talking about when I say that God would manifest his presence among us. We become aware of him working and moving. And I'm going to tell you something. You can and we should be feeling the Holy Spirit. And if we're not, we need to get on our face and say, Lord, where have we missed it? We need you. God, if you don't do it, we can't get by. Lord, we need you to do what only you can. Don't get used to going through the motions without God being glorified and without Him manifesting Himself in everything we do. Stay hungry for the power of the Spirit to be at work in the church. Amen? One thing that I've noticed about the early church they didn't have all the things that the world depends upon. They didn't have power. They didn't have prestige. They didn't have promotion. They didn't have influence because of people who had a lot of money. They didn't have any of that. You me tell you what they had? Prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they turned the world upside down. <laughs> they didn't have big buildings. They have big budgets. Peter, when he was standing at the gate of the temple and the guy comes up and says he wants some money, Peter says, silver and gold have I none. At this time, he's the leader of the church. He didn't have no money. He didn't have no position. He didn't have any of that as far as the world was concerned. He said, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that man was healed that day. And God kept saving people. Do what only God could do. Why? Because of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why. Acts chapter number 1. Let's Acts 1 verse number 4. Watch this. Watch how the Bible puts it. Acts 1 4. Jesus now has been with his disciples 40 days. All right? After the resurrection. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. After the resurrection. After the resurrection... 
He's teaching and he's preaching about the kingdom after the resurrection. And everybody's seeing him. 500 people at one time saw him. This is historical fact, not just found in scripture. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He overcame the grave. So he's 40 days out from that. Now it's time for him to go back to the Heavenly Father. So he meets for his, with his, his disciples one last time. Look what he says. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart, not to depart, not to depart from Jerusalem. Stay where you are. Don't depart. Wait a minute now. I mean, they got a lot of stuff to do. Has he not called them to go forth and preach the kingdom? Hadn't he? Has he not told them the Great Commission? Go into all nations and teach them what it means to be a disciple, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Did he not tell them that? He's already told them that. But he says, right now, don't do nothing. Wait. There's a church to, to start, a gospel to preach, lives to change. But he says, don't. You do one thing, you wait. Watch what he says then. He says, and he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Let's go on. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the season where the Father has put in his own authority. Let me give you my commentary on this verse. It comes from Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Really what Jesus is saying is know your own, shut your hole. That's what he said. It ain't for you to know all the stuff that God the Father has planned. That ain't for you to know. Don't get sidetracked on stuff that ain't your business is what he's saying. That is not your business. Let me tell you what you're supposed to do. Right now, you're supposed to wait on the promise of the Father that's coming. And when he gets there, this is what's going to happen. Watch. Watch this. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again. That word power there in the Greek is the word dunamis. You may That may be familiar to you because it's the same word we get our English word dynamite from. And so what Jesus is saying is, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to have dynamite power. You're going to have power that changes things. Amen. You ever seen any dynamite change some stuff? It does, don't it? It'll change the whole landscape. That's what the power of God does. It's what happened on the day of Pentecost. 120 of them there, gathered together in one place, praying, seeking the Lord, waiting, just like he said. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came as a rushing mighty wind. Whew. And the Bible says all of them were filled and began to speak with tongues like up as a fire. And all the people that were in Jerusalem who had come to pay their taxes, all the people that were there on the day of Pentecost, all kinds of different nationalities started hearing the gospel preached in their own language. But the Bible says these men only spoke the language of Judea. They had no formal training 
and speaking all these other languages, the Phoenician language, the Cyrenian language, and Aramaic language. They had none of that. But when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to speak so that everybody could hear the message. And somebody said, man, these guys are drunk. They were so controlled by the Spirit. They said, something is up with them. This ain't right. And Peter said, they ain't drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And then he opened up the Scriptures and began to teach to them, preach to them one of the most beautiful messages I've ever heard in my life or read in my life. You can read it in Acts chapter 2. And at the end of it, the Bible says their hearts were pricked. And they said, what must we do? You know what happened? Now God the Holy Spirit's on the scene. Now, by the preaching of the word and the work of the Holy Spirit, hearts are convicted. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're sinners. We ain't right with God. We gotta get right. What do we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Praise the Lord. Are you seeing that? But it all happened by the power of the Spirit. That's how it still happens. Let's never get used to going through the motions, folks. Let's always be desperate for God to move. Always. The church relies on prayer. The church relies on the power of the Holy Spirit. The church relies on humility of the believer. Now, what do I mean by humility? I don't mean false humility. Let me give you my favorite definition of humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. That's false humility. It's not somebody saying, oh, I'm just a filthy rag. God don't care about me. Don't nobody love me. I don't even love myself. Everybody's mad at me. No, that's, that's ridiculous. Quit thinking that way. God never told you to think that way. You say, well, somebody else did. I don't care what somebody else says. Nobody else has authority over you. Quit believing what people say about you. Believe what God says about you. God says you are blessed and highly favored. God says you, listen to me, are so valuable to him. I'm not talking about worthy. You ain't worthy of salvation. I'm not either. But you are valued by God. There's a difference in worth and value. Let me tell you what I mean by that real quick. One of my, my, my absolute favorite possessions in this whole world is a 1955 Chevrolet Max, Matchbooks car, Matchbox Hot Wheels race car. Not even the Hot Wheels, Matchbox. I'm talking about the one you buy for 89 cents. Not the $3 Hot Wheel model. Now, I know some Hot Wheels because I've, I've still got my old Hot Wheels from when I was a kid. I'm a car nut. I still like Hot Wheels. So when my son was little, he's about three, four years old, he would line all his Hot Wheels up on the car and he'd race them around it, you know. And he'd tell me every night who won. And every night I would say, how about that 55 Chevrolet? Did it win? Because I liked the 55 Chevrolet. It's one of my favorite cars. It was cool. No, nah, Daddy didn't win tonight. He'd race again tomorrow night. What about that 55 Chevrolet? No, nah, Daddy didn't win tonight. He'd never let him win. And I always wanted him to win because I liked the 55. I kept telling him that. Guess what happened on my birthday one year? He made me a little card. Construction paper, love you, Dad. Happy birthday. 
And guess what he gave me with it? 55 Chevrolet. Isn't that awesome? It's one of my favorite things in the world. Now, I know I don't mean nothing to you, but it means a lot to me. I'm going to tell you something. I would not trade my Challenger sitting outside for that 55 Chevrolet. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't trade any car in the parking lot for that 55 Chevrolet. Now, all of those cars in the parking lot, all of them, are worth more than that 89-cent matchbox car that's been scratched all up and raced 100,000 miles on somebody's knees. All of it. All of it's worth more. But when it comes to value, I value that little matchbox worth more than all them other cars. Now, you're not worthy of salvation, but you're valued by God so much he saw fit to save you. You have value to him. Regardless of what somebody else says, quit worrying about what somebody else says. That don't matter. We get so hung up on what other people think. Now, don't get me wrong. I want, I want to have a good name. I want to have a good reputation. But if me having a good name and reputation means I got to please men, I'm never going to have a good name and reputation. I can tell a whole lot about what, how, what a man is by who don't like him. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. You are valued by God. So don't think less of yourself. Listen, humility is thinking of yourself less. Martin Luther went a step further and he said, it's not even thinking of yourself at all. <laughs> That's humility. I ain't got no time to go any further. Let's go one more. Sacrifice and service. Sacrifice and service. What do we rely upon? We rely on prayer. We rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. We rely on the humility of the believer. We rely upon sacrifice and service. If you're going to have some good servants, they've got to be humble. They've got to be willing to sacrifice their wants for God's wants. Their plans for God's plans. Because now he's Lord. It's no longer about me. It's about him. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to give you some scripture. You go back and look at it this week. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. The mother of James and John comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, I'm asking here about my sons and I want them to be great in your kingdom. And matter of fact, when you come into power, I want one of them to sit on your right hand, one of them to sit on your left hand. Now, I don't think that, I know that mamas love their babies, but I think James and John might have had a little bit to do with that too. Go talk to him, mama. Go see what he says. It's going to look bad if we go, but how about you go? Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But anyway, Mama went. Now listen. Jesus wasn't mad because them boys wanted to be great. Do you know that? He's not against you or me being great in his kingdom. Matter of fact, I think he wants us to be great in his kingdom. He's not against it. He didn't, he didn't chastise them. He didn't say, like, how dare you think you ought to be great. No, he didn't say none of that. Go back and read it. He just tells them how to be great in the kingdom. He said, this thing don't work like you think it works. It don't work like the world operates. He says, if you're going to be great in my kingdom, let me tell you what you've got to do. You've got to become like a little child. You gotta humble yourself. You gotta be a servant. 
in my kingdom, those who are seen as the least will be the greatest. And those who are seen as the greatest are going to be least. I was thinking just the other day about when we get to heaven. We've got, a, we've got an idea, all of us probably do, on, you know, when it comes to the pecking order where everybody's going to line up. A lot of people have this idea that maybe, you know, some preacher who's preached for years and years and years and, and, um, and pastored, you know, these mega churches and, and done all this and that. And you think, man, they're, they're really going to be at the top of the line when the pecking order comes down. They're going to be the greatest. I don't know so much about that. Maybe. Let me tell you what I kind of think. I think that single mama who did everything she could do to make it, sacrificed herself for her children, and did things nobody else saw, but did it because she loved her babies and loved the Lord and was faithful to teaching them about the love of Jesus and faithful to keeping them in church and doing what she could do with what she had been given. I think probably that may be the one that's up at the front of the line. I think maybe we see things differently as we're here than what they'll really be when we're there. That's what he was saying to James and John. Sacrifice and service, people. That's what makes you great in his kingdom. That's what the church depends upon. He says, don't worry about the foolishness of the world. The wisdom of the world, the knowledge of the world is foolishness before God. Let me, let me just say one other thing. Listen, the wisdom of the world is foolishness. Ain't that the truth? Accumulation of information is not knowledge that you should desire. Because accumulation of information is not really the knowledge God wants you to have. Nothing wrong with having a lot of information. But if you at first don't fear the Lord, that accumulation of information becomes foolishness. The Bible says the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. There's a lot of people today who's got a string of letters behind the name a mile long but are so foolish. I saw the picture today of uh, Rachel Levine. Anybody know Rachel Levine? He used to be Richard Levine. Now he's Dr. Rachel Levine and is the Assistant Director of Health in the United States government. Look it up. Whole lot of accumulation of information. Not much wisdom. Don't look real knowledgeable to me. Don't seem real knowledgeable to me that someone who don't know whether they're a man or a woman should be over anything to do with health. Physical, mental, emotional, any kind of health. But that's the wisdom of the world. Are you getting me? Oh, listen, nothing wrong with getting educated. But if you don't have the fear of the Lord, 
becomes foolishness. Anybody got anything, comments, or questions?